0: Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the 108th episode of my podcast, Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, sharing knowledge so people can thrive. Today's topic is an almost unified theory of songwriting and life. I'm joined by Mike Arrico. He is the author of Music, Lyrics, and Life, a field guide for the advancing songwriter. The publisher is Backbeat Books. Mike is a New York-based recording artist, writer, and lecturing professor. Uh, He's been at universities including Yale, Wesleyan, and NYU's Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music. His opinions and insights have appeared in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, and elsewhere. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So uh, let's get started by a brief overview of the book, if you don't mind.
1: Absolutely. Um. So, what it is is basically um the a result of teaching and doing uh songwriting uh for the past couple decades, and uh and hopefully putting it all together in a way that helps in a holistic way. You know the the songwriter the song sure, but the songwriter who's creating the song too. Okay. That's
0: another. Nice Sure. Uh, So I'm going to start out uh, with uh, some things to give, I think the audience, a sense of yourself as an, as an artist, as a musician yourself, if you don't mind. So uh, you mentioned one of your suggestions for your students is to create their own playlist, maybe uh, 15 favorite songs. We won't go through 15, but do you want to give us maybe just two or three that help us get a sense of your own ambitions as a musician and songwriter? Oh, sure. I mean, I, you know, They're ambitious, by definition,
1: I guess. But um, for me, uh, the classic would be uh, Songs in the Key of Life by Stevie Wonder. Um, I would either put Dark Side of the Moon or Animals by Pink Floyd in it. And I might also put in um, Moon-Shaped Pool, which is uh, the most recent Radiohead record. I mean, I'm just pulling... Three, just out of out of thin air, not knowing that you were going to ask the question, but um, you know, if you can, if you can drop something in between those three, <laughs> <laughs> that's a Bermuda Triangle. I would certainly vacation in.
0: Yeah, and would you say there's any underlying thematics to the three you just offered us? Um, you know, any, any uh, additional understanding of of why those three maybe? I
1: I think those three are coming from. Place where you know the pop sense of things are incidental. Um, I think they're they have really strong visions, and some of them are pop, as opposed to you know I just want to entertain. You know, they're I think that they're deeper listens. Certainly, the sprawling nature of something like Songs in the Key of Life. We'll give like some of the great pop songs of all time, but also way far field kind of uh, stuff that that shows an artist stretching, you know, so that that would be the underlying for me.
0: Okay. Fair enough. Um, how about favorite titles to to some songs? And I'm I know at one point in the book you mentioned uh, rap and country music depend a lot, obviously, on the lyrics. Uh, I know one of the worst titles I ever heard, but it's kind of funny. Is "I Flush You from the Toilet of My Heart" or maybe it was the bathroom of my heart? It was that was a country song? But um, how about you? Some favorite titles.
1: Uh- well i mean if you're good for funny type for laughing titles uh get your tongue out of my mouth i'm kissing you goodbye um <laughs> which to me is kind of that is kind of a fun uh thing uh whose boots now whose bed have your boots been under these are all things that are you know th- th- these are country song kind of novelty type things um but i do also really like songs that are calls to arms you know um Uh, And it can be any type of call to arm to to the dance floor or to uh, social uh, issues. So like something like fight the power or something like fight for your right to party. You know, those kind of things um, are amazing. I love that type of starting a a title with a verb, like an action verb that's just going to grab you by the shirt and be like, you know, do this thing, whatever that thing is, you know, Um, I, I think those are very powerful and um, I feel like the song has started the minute you have seen the title because you get the, insistent and the, the insistence and the ambition of the song right there from, the, from this first moment.
0: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. The same thing with, with bands. I remember when I you know, first came across long ago Talking Heads and Went, they've got to be good. That's such a good name for a band. Great name. Yeah, versus some other band names. You go, oh, my God, you should have kept uh, dialing down and finding <laughs> some other options because that's just a, a loser of a of a name. Yeah. Yeah. So um, a little bit more deeper question, but staying with favorites. Um, I was really intrigued at one point. You mentioned that uh, if you really have a, a great artist, and they've got a long career. They got their early stage work, their mid stage, their late stage work, and looking at that that sweep, that movement over time can really provide some learnings as to the choices they've made, the things they've come to understand about their craft. Is there is there someone you might take that uh, has been instrumental for you in terms of understanding how they evolved and what that meant to them and what it could mean to you?
1: Well, there are well, there's uh, there are the three that I mentioned uh, just before uh, that you could use. Um, For me, as a vocalist, uh, the person I have used, and this is a classic rock example, but uh, Joni Mitchell, uh, because her vocals, her voice changes markedly across eras. Um, And she follows her voice, literally and figuratively, uh, via her songwriting. So she's a very angelic, bird-like soprano in, in the early folk stages of her career. Um, she liked a cigarette let's just say she likes a cigarette uh, and uh, you can hear it and the later stuff from the, the 90s and beyond um, true but you can also hear the journey that she went on that she said she was going to go on when she was back in her bird-like phase so like I feel like you get this you get a sweep and you can tell where you are in the sweep by the timbre of her voice and um, and her uh, her perspective, you know, um, that's really exciting to me. And I feel like many pop acts, you're not going to get that, unfortunately, because like longevity is very difficult, you know. So you get the yes, real it- long ones, you know, like uh, Willie Nelson, you know, or Frank Sinatra, uh, uh, Billie Holiday, you know. You get you get long. That was not quite as long, but like you still get sense of trajectory which which is really exciting because you can live in different eras with them
0: yeah i, I think i first noticed that what you're talking about those transitions from uh billy holiday because in, in the in the late stuff the the range is more limited but boy does she get a lot out of it oh so good um, yeah so so uh maybe one or two more things on the personal front i, I was intrigued and enjoyed this thing about the four quadrants of trust. Yes. Um, can you take us through them maybe briefly? Um, and where do you think your catalog of songs tend to fall? Which which quadrant or maybe it's sure. moved over time?
1: Well, uh, the quadrants came from actually sort of from my dad. And my dad actually got them from the guy W. Edwards Deming, who rearranged the Japanese auto industry after World War II. Um, So basically it's a management technique that I transferred to songwriting and it has these four quadrants um, because instead of like management, we're talking about things like trust and relationships, right? Relationships are built on trust. So there are basically four ways you can go with a relationship. And so the the, the first quadrant I use is um, I trust you and you are trustworthy, right? So that is, a wonderful place, but it is also a place with no stakes, right? So that's like children's music is like that, uh, sappy music is like that, very sentimental type places like that. It's a difficult place to get any teeth into unless you add stakes. So that's like that's the first quadrant.
0: Yeah. And I, and I like that one. I, I thought of maybe the Beatles, I feel fine, which is, you know, very bubbly and upbeat, but it's got Absolutely. a little bit of that I, iconic uh, bite from John in it.
1: Well, that's the thing. Paul would be Paul would have lived there. Right. And uh, John was undercutting. And that's the genius of the two of them. I mean, it seems to be yeah. prism of like of this quadrant type thing. You know, I must admit it's getting better. It's getting better. And then John is like, it can't get no worse. Right? Yep. So like all of a sudden you're in a completely different uh, mind space. Um, okay. Th- that's the first quadrant. Yeah, What's the that next would one? The, that would be one. And then the second one I would say would be bottom left, if you're visualizing, and that would be, uh, I don't trust you and you are not trustworthy, which is the mirror image, but also uh, without any stakes, you know, this is just nihilism, right? Which is, which there are lots of great nihilistic songs, but with a shred of hope put in as a stake, you can really get a lot of emotional uh, uh, power out of a out of the most nihilistic type song. So that you're like sort of your bottom laughed
0: so the top okay and i I would actually throw the the sex pistols in there potentially um and and i love your comment about stakes and whether or not there's really stakes involved because to me at the end of was it god save the queen where Mm -hmm. he says england's dreaming she has no future and he belts out no future no future for you and finally at the end of the song which i think was what makes it he says no future for me so he's not yes. just condescending, it's, you know, this all-pervasive feeling. So he's, he's all in on the feeling.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. And without a hope for a better place, that song has no meaning, right? Like, he aspires to a better England. Uh, yes. But, uh, but he's not seeing it. So there's your stakes, I, I think. There's your hope. Um, and even just the energy itself is hope. Uh, true, true. So okay, so now we're in the top right corner, uh, quadrant, um, which is uh, I trust you, and you are not trustworthy, right? So there, that's that's most of pop music, right? It's also <laughs> um, uh, all the blues, right? You done me wrong. I can't believe it. You know, uh, you know, where I, were yeah, you all night? I'll... That kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of Lucinda Williams songs go there, and she's one of my absolute favorites.
1: Sure. Uh, So much pop music. So many of my students are coming out with, like, breakup songs, and the reason for the breakup is always you were terrible in some fashion. You know, you were a horrible person, and uh, here's a song. Here's the song that is the tattoo you will never forget. Um, But the thing about that quadrant that I like to make clear is that it is an honorable place to be because you are the person trusting, right? And that is the 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 half that you can control that will get you to this top left quadrant, which is I trust you and you are trustworthy, right? Hopefully that's where a relationship will ultimately end, right? Uh, or, or yes. resolve. So um so there's that that place, and it is honorable. Now the bottom Uh, bottom right quadrant is the final one which is i don't trust you and you are trustworthy which is a mistake you can never take back right and that is very tortured and and a terrible place to live and a terrible place to write you know although incredible music comes from that it's very, very broken. And, and the stakes.
0: Yeah. I I think of blood on the tracks by Dylan there, for instance, the, the, and the stakes are
1: existential because it's about time and it's about the irretrievable. Right. So, um, in the present tense, it's like, I want to trust you. I'm just, I can't get out of my own way. And in the past it's, I had it all and I lost it. I'm an idiot, you know? Um, that's a tough place. Uh, and, it's, yeah. and it's a tough song. So what I ask is, I ask my, my students is to just look at their songs across their catalog and see which ones they're writing in and whether or not uh, one or another is one that can be visited or changed, right, in revision. Or maybe you have one that's just too hopeful and needs... needs a John Lennon line that will change it or a Sex Pistols line that'll change it. Um, And so it's, it's a revision tool, but it's also sort of an overarching sort of catalog tool because when you're making an album or something or an EP or whatever it is, uh, you want to look across to see whether or not you're banging on the same note over and over and over again. Um, And hopefully what you want is a, is a varied uh, palette of, of emotion for your listener because that's what they're living.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And if you're pulling together an album, it's nice to have it have its own internal coherence, but also have just enough variety right. or maybe a lot of variety to, to make it, make it work. Yeah. So let, let's switch over to, uh, maybe a bit on the, the craft of doing things. I, I really love this stuff you said about, uh, how you work the downbeat and the melodies, and I'd never made the kind of separations that you had before. Uh, I, I thought it was just a delightful part of the book. Uh can you can you share that with with listeners?
1: i I believe the part you're talking about is uh, is called melodic math. Um, and we talk about these are a lot of these things are revision ideas, but they're really ideas about contrast, no matter what you're doing, right? Contrast is always good. chiaroscuro, right? Um so in in the case of sections and songwriting sections, um, watching where you land on the downbeat of a, of a section can actually change your sense of where the section uh, goes and, and what the section feels like uh, relative to what came before it. So what I mean is um, really conversational verses might happen. It might begin after the downbeat, but uh, a urgent chorus of some sort might come two or three beats before the downbeat of the chorus to really get you you know into it and and to really sort of anticipate the anticipation of the one gives us a sense of urgency um which is now that the important part is not one or the other but a uh a mix of of ideas of contrasting ideas so that you have, uh, so you're not banging on the same note again, you know. So each one of these things are sort of revision ideas. And the first thing I check when a student comes to me with a song and they're like, you know what, this is just not working for me. Something's wrong. I'm bored. I don't know why. Is it me? Is it my life? It's like, well, let's just take a look at the sections first before you get existential. Um, are they all landing on the one and starting that way? Uh, is there a way we can anticipate or shift a, a melody so that something unexpected is 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 happening between sections? So that's sort of what I what I meant, and that is an ancient uh, sort of idea that what that stems from the concept of music as science. You know that music is actually science, and we are actually counting without knowing that we're counting. So there is an internal clock going on at all times. So that's what kind of what we're playing with, um, and melodic math is actually just uh, is addressing uh, the 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 counting and the math that is intrinsic in songs.
0: Sure, and I and I like the idea of just a little bit of a shift, a little bit of surprise, because it leads me into another thing that's right. I think related. Where you're you're talking about brain teasers versus yes. brain embarrassers, <laughs> and and taking us out there a ways, but not so far. So I, I don't want to step on your toes. You 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 talk about it a bit, and I might add something in. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: brain teasers and brain embarrassers. Just just before we we move away from the melodic math thing, you were talked about Bob Dylan. I'm like trying to think of a good example. A great example. How does it feel? You know what I mean. <laughs> now that anticipates the one, but the fact that he started before gives us even more of a slingshot into that course. Anyway, so back now. Okay, brain teasers and brain embarrassers. This is also like sort of an idea that we are science. We're numbers and we're ones and zeros. You know, or we're not even that. We're 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 more elemental even than that. And I, I spoke to an astronomer in the book to sort of get scientific basis of these things. But, um, we, we count and we have a culture that enjoys, uh, four, you know, the, the number four, or the, the four, four time signature or four bar phrases or 16 bar solos, 32 bar song forms, things that are divisible, uh, in this way, that is sort of Western numerical sort of, Uh, understanding of uh, of songwriting Um, so what we do is we try to um, play with this play with our expectation play with the expectation of numbers uh, and play with the expectation of where they're going to land and how we can solve them because we're very vain like our brains are incredibly vain (laughs) So, so if I can figure out a puzzle I think I'm a genius right
0: Um, yeah. No, the, the brain likes pattern matching. I and uh, if you it. can, if you can show that you're awesome at it, then you feel good about yourself. It's
1: tremendous. Yes. But we are so vain that we also will take the puzzle itself into consideration. Like if it's too easy a puzzle, we um, are uh, annoyed, right? We are, we are bored and we turn it off. And of course, if it's, if it's too difficult, we are um, angered, we are embarrassed, we are shamed, we are all of this, and we think that we're dumb, whatever. So what we do as songwriters is we play with that. Um, so, and my charge to my students is, where do you wanna land on the line of solvability, right? So do you wanna be simple and easy to understand? Do you wanna do happy birthday, Jack and Jill went up the hill, et cetera, et cetera. Um, or do you wanna be like one of the bands i discussed, which is Radiohead where I mean, I went to a show, a Radiohead show, my wife is, is dancing, uh, and she asked me, what's the problem with this song? Um, and I said, there's nothing wrong with the song. Um, this, the, the, I don't think that they really want you to be dancing, to be honest. I think they want you to be uh, detached and somehow floating in a dystopian metaverse. And they kind of say as much in their lyrics. Um, so uh, what, they, what they've done is try to make it less solvable and dancing is a is in itself a solution to uh to a rhythm um it's a response and it's a collaboration with rhythm and i think radiohead would much rather you uh feel a little bit detached you know that's that's their aesthetic so what i tell my students is where do you fit uh in this uh in on this timeline um in this of uh, uh, this line of solvability so
0: you know, I, I like the Radiohead stack. I remember going to a, a Cowboy Junkies concert, and at one point she says, "You know, so we've we been told that someone is here on their honeymoon." He said, "You know, we haven't ever recorded maybe more than one or two happy songs ever." So, <laughs> are are you sure we're the right pick for for your honeymoon? I I, yeah. I really liked I really liked that moment. So the the brain teasers and brain embarrasses made me think of something. I don't know if, if you have ever heard of Wound's Curve. You know what that is?
1: Uh, maybe uh, not by a name. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so so Wundt was the the co-founder of modern psychology along with Freud, and in trying to figure out what appealed to us, he kind of played that same line, but he made it just a little bit more, I guess, complicated. He said that uh, really the sweet spot is if you made it simple and novel, or familiar and complex. In other words, there's some way that you have a toe hold um, in, which is the simple or the familiar, but then you 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 add the sizzle to the steak by having the novel or the complex. Yes. And if you just do simple, familiar, boring as can be, if you do complex and and new, now you're into brain embarrasser, because it's it's just too much for people. There's no toehold and way in. So I, I thought you might enjoy that. Yes,
1: absolutely. Um, and to also to uh, I've also heard it expressed as um, meeting a- expectation in an unexpected way.
0: So yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like that too. Because so often I've done a lot of work in in working with ad agencies, and they have to deal with their their clients who may be very creative and may not be. And uh, it's the battle between the company wanting the uh, the simple and familiar, yep. totally safe, and the ad agency often wanting the complex and new. And then they the, then they battle. Yep. And 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 so it goes. Uh, another favorite part of the book for me was the the stuff about mission songs, and I, I love that term. Um, can you explain to, to listeners what it means? And, uh, you already mentioned fight the power, which I think is an excellent example, but uh, maybe one or two others you'd like to go into.
1: Sure. Well, these are, these are, um, songs that hopefully, uh, make the writer understandable to the listener, right? So we know that Bruce Springsteen comes from New Jersey because he told us a hundred thousand times, right? And, <laughs> yes, and so he did. He had a mission, and and he had an a universe and an environment that he wanted to introduce us to, um, and he gave us his manifesto, um, and and he is not the only one by a long shot. Obviously, uh, Eminem is from Detroit. There's pretty much no way not to know that, um, so. Songs like that give us uh, their, in, their invites uh, into uh, who, the, uh, who the writer actually is, who the artist is, um, and there are lots of different ways that I, I, I prompt my students to uh, get into so that they can tell the listener how they want to be understood. Right. Um, the classic example I give in the book is uh, I want to rock and roll all night and party every day. Uh, because Kiss, the, the band uh, that wrote it, um, was visually arresting and musically very confusing because no one understood what was going on. And the their A&R person asked them to go home and tell listeners what they're about, right? So that their mission, uh, as Paul Stanley, who I interviewed, t- told me, he's like, they went home and they're like, well, what do you want? And the answer was, I want to rock and roll all night and party every day. So hence the song, Boom. <laughs> hence the hit, but hence the way to understand a very strange looking band, you know? Um, so there are lots of ways and there are very contemporary ways as well. Obviously I remember the first time I heard, uh, we, uh, I heard Royals by Lord, and her, uh, her mission, which is, I will never be royals to me. Um, I, I understood we, right? The, we is the group into which I belong. I mean, I am not the demographic necessarily, but I will never be royals either. Right. And I understood, I understood a little bit about her, sense of class and, and what she felt was important. Um, and what she felt, uh, how she felt a kinship to her uh, to her audience um, so that to me was was a great one geography is a great one uh, is a great type of uh, mission a great way of understanding uh, an artist the one i always use in class is casey musgraves who her first album and it's first songs that usually do this but her first album was called same trailer different park and to me that is that metaphorical place uh, is one that I can inhabit, even though I am not from East Texas, as she is, and I'm not a country person per se. I live in New York City, um, but also there's there's uh, there are personalities uh, that come through in mission songs. Billy Eilish's first song is uh, "Bad Guy," you know, uh, "I'm the bad guy," right? Is not far afield from you know johnny cash saying i'm the man in black
0: black yes
1: right so but basically now i understand billy for now and for all time
0: right yeah you can locate her you can identify etc absolutely
1: and i can decide whether or not i'm going to get on board right so there it's it's really an invite and it's like a put up or shut up kind of moment right are you with me or are you not getting in the milk toasty kind of middle zone is not a good place.
0: (laughs) Yeah. The the squishy middle. Yes. So so last question before we wrap up here, obviously there is music and then there is the music industry. Uh, And one aspect of that, which kind of gets into emotional intelligence is, how to navigate co-writing and collaboration and and royalty splits and all of that. I mean, I saw a documentary not long ago about the band, and I always wondered why they faltered so quickly. Because I, I love their early stuff, and if I gather correctly from the documentary, it's really that Robbie Robertson, you know, started hoarding the song credits, and Levon Helm's was mortally offended because he thought they had been collaborative enterprises uh any advice that you give students that you've uh, observed from your own career just on navigating the music industry and maybe even the co-writing angle in particular
1: yes uh, this this is a critical part unfortunately of songwriting uh because it has to do with whether or not you're going to continue songwriting or collaborating because this is something that can actually tear apart a band or the band or Creedence clearwater revival or thousands of other bands that that direction um I interviewed a bunch of uh, writers in the book with a bunch of different ways to uh, split the pie Um, from Shane McAnally, who was like, number of people in the room equals number of pieces of pie. And that's it. You know, Um, but I would say if there's an overarching uh, idea, it's very simple. It's that it's a people industry. So don't be a jerk, right? Yeah. If it's a 50 50 thing with two people, don't get into a fight about being 60 40 on a songwriting type thing, because what's going to happen is you're never going to write again. And then now you're zero zero. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's that's (laughs) your next song and all songs forever else, you know, uh, in the future. So um, not being a jerk. Uh, is is really the way to, to do this. Um, and, and there's a little bit of swallowing of bitter pills that occur. Um, I also mentioned a great example of someone saying no. It was Dolly Parton actually saying no to Elvis Presley on I Will, uh, I will Always Love You. Um, he fell in love. This, this, Dolly Parton wrote the song. It was on the album Jolene. It became a huge hit. Elvis loved it, wanted to cover it, and wanted the uh, songwriting credit for it, the publishing. Um, and uh, she had a very difficult night, she said. She cried all night and said no. And Elvis uh, never recorded it, but Whitney Houston did. Um, and her, her line, a classic Dolly Parton line is, um, after I got that check, um, I had enough money to buy Graceland. Basically. Um, So saying no is also a possibility.
0: Um, Sure. Although on behalf of Elvis, I would say it's probably Tom Parker, Colonel Tom Parker, who was more responsible for being greedy and pushing that quote unquote offer to Dolly. Certainly. Yes, certainly. Yeah. Uh, But he never covered it. Yeah. So, um, well, thank you, Mike. We, we could go on and on with this. I really love the book. I love the conversation. Uh, this has been uh, Mike Arrico. This has been episode 108. Uh, he is the author of Music, Lyrics, and Life, A Field Guide for the Advancing Songwriter. If you enjoyed today's show, please give it a rating or a review on iTunes. You can find other episodes by going to the New Books Network, typing in Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight and all of the 107 previous episodes will emerge finally i like to conclude every episode with an epigram in this case i took one from i believe a singer songwriter you enjoyed tom waits who said i like beautiful melodies telling me terrible things until next time take care and be well